Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. The sermon that you're about to listen to is about the next in the series of the letters to the churches in Revelation. This is the letter to Thyatira, which is Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. And this is thinking about how we need to keep holding on, holding on to biblical truth as well as holding on to love, and most of all, holding on to Jesus. Just as a reminder once again that there is more YouTube content, the series on the Sermon on the Mount is currently at number six, and you might let's have a look at that on the YouTube channel, the link's below. And you can support Understand the Bible if you'd like to, you can become a Patreon, and the links for that will be also underneath in the show notes. So thanks so much everyone, I hope that you enjoy, God bless, and I'll see you again, not next week, but in a couple of weeks time. So uh, a few weeks ago we looked at the letter to Ephesus and in that letter we were thinking about how um, they, this church, the uh, Ephesian church, they were orthodox but they didn't have love like they had at first. So that was a problem. That was a big problem for them. The church in Thyatira, and I'm not sure how you pronounce that but for the sake of argument let's call it that, um, they had the opposite problem. So they had love and deeds, but they didn't have the, uh, the orthodoxy, you know, the, the belief. And um, I think both of those things are sort of, if you like, equal and opposite problems. To either be completely, you know, biblical, orthodox, but not have love. But on the other hand, to, be, uh, to have a lot of deeds and love, but not to be orthodox. Both of those things, in the end, are big problems. And uh, I wonder, I mean, it, it seems to me like um, there are a lot of churches today, probably um, if you look at churches in general across the Church of England, I would say probably this is more the general picture that, that you're likely to see, that churches like to do a lot of stuff. And you see, you know, if you t- look at what they talk about in General Synod and so on and the bishops, it's always doing stuff. They're very keen on doing stuff they're less keen on actually talking about what we believe. And, and that's, that's a problem. And um, that's something that, that is addressed here. Now, um, Thyatira, just to, to put this into context, the reason that you, you may not have heard of this, I mean, Ephesus, you know, we know a bit about Ephesus because it's in the book of Ephesians in the Bible. But Thyatira, Thyatira, this is the middle one of the letters now. Um, Thyatira is the least important city, probably, of all of the, the letters in Revelation, the, the um, places that they're written to. So Thyatira is not an important kind of a place. It wasn't, you know, the seat of imperial power or anything like that. Um, I mean, it was a, a sort of, a, you know, plenty of trade went on there, um, but it wasn't an you know, important kind of a town. But it gets the longest letter. This is the longest letter of any of the seven letters in Revelation. And I think, you know, just before we begin, I think that says something about what Jesus values. You know, that this church were, uh, this was not the most important city, but it was nonetheless, it gets the longest letter. And um, we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, So it begins, um, as always, to the angel of the the church in. Uh, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So it picks up again that picture from um, chapter 1, the vision of Christ, in chapter 1. And the image that we get 
uh, I think that comes across here from what Jesus picks out is that the power and authority, this is what he kind of draws attention to. And it's interesting as we've gone through so far that the things that he draws attention to from that vision are related to the particular situation of the church. And I think we'll see that again as we go through. Uh, so he says, again, as, as he does in every letter, I know, this time he says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. So he says, I know your love and faith. He knows that they are doing stuff, they're, they're growing in love and service. And as he says, in fact, um, you're now doing more than you did at first. So they're doing more stuff than they started out by doing. You know, they're growing in their love and in their faith and in their, in their deeds. And you think, you know, maybe like um, if you just stop there, you know, do you remember a few weeks ago we were thinking, you know, if Jesus was making a brochure for the church, you know, maybe he put Thyatira on the, on the front cover of the brochure. You know, oh, I know what you're doing. You're growing in love and faith. Isn't that brilliant? You know, and um, he, uh, he puts that on the, on the front cover, on the brochure. But, and you know there's a but coming, because <laughs> uh, except for two letters, there's always a nevertheless. So he says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, Jezebel, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Tolerance, because tolerance has become um, almost a, a virtue in itself in our in our society. You know, we are supposed to be tolerant of anything and every and everyone and whatever. You know, and to be tolerant is um, to be intolerant is terrible. I think. Um, was it Boris Johnson, uh, before he was Prime Minister, I think while he was still Mayor of London, he said some years ago, we are intolerant of intolerance. Do you remember that? I remember that was, that was reported in, in, the, in the press. Intolerant of intolerance. And that was what he said. And I think if you asked people today, certainly you know people in the media and MPs and so on, then they would probably say the same kind of thing, that we are to be tolerant but as Jesus says, there is a kind of tolerance which he does not want us to have. And he says, um, the, the, the problem of the church in Thyatira was that they were tolerating uh, a false prophet. Uh, it says that she was, um, uh, that woman Jezebel, presumably not her real name, referring to um, Ahab and Jezebel, you know, in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings. And um, it says she calls herself a prophet. And this was the problem. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't, the issue was not that there were people in the church who believed wrong things, because you will always find that in any church, that you know, people have all sorts of, of ideas. And, and that's the thing, if people come into the church, they need discipling, they need teaching and so on. You'll always find that in churches as a diversity. The problem is with this woman that she did, didn't just have strange ideas, she was teaching other people. She called herself a prophet, she was setting herself up as an authority. That was the problem here. Not that she had wrong ideas necessarily, 
Um, and um, as it says in the book of James, in fact, that those who are, those who are um, teachers need to be more careful. It says, James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And that's the thing. If When you're teaching other people, you're, you're going to be held to a higher uh, standard. And I find that, you know, humbling um, because, you know, I know that what I say here, then one day the Lord will hold me accountable for. And so I need to make sure that it is based on, on what is true. And uh, what this woman was, was doing and saying was misleading people into, it says, into sexual immorality and the eating of food, sacrifice to idols. And like, I think we saw this last week as well, didn't we? That I'm not sure whether that's uh, you know, meant to be literal or whether that's uh, often in the Bible, um, sexual immorality and, and so on. It's, it's to do with faithfulness to the Lord. And perhaps th- this is saying that it is, um, you know, that she's leading people away from the Lord in all sorts of ways. Um, or perhaps it was both and, who knows. Um, but it says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So the Lord gave her that time to repent. And she, she flourished for a little while. He says, I've given her time to repent. You know, and perhaps she had people in the church who came up, came up to her and said, you know, this is, this is wrong. Um, but perhaps, I mean, as, as he's writing, maybe that's not what they did because they were tolerating her. Um, but he gave her time to repent. And I think there is a, a grace in that, isn't there? Now, we often wonder why God allows bad people, you know, to, to carry on. And he says, well, I've, I've given them time to repent. No, I've given them time to repent. But the time was coming to an end. It says, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. And again, adultery in the Old Testament was often used as a metaphor for faithfulness to God. And when the people went off after other gods, that was described as adultery. Um, And so, um, yeah, God is going to give them some kind of suffering. We don't know, again, what kind, but that was what was going to happen. God was going to judge. He said, if you, the church, are not going to judge her, then I will. And I'm going to make her suffer. And, uh, and it says, this is because, verse 23, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Um, so the Lord says, I am doing this so that you can see who the Lord is, so that you can see whose teaching really leads to, to life. And this is how God works sometimes. Sometimes he, he lets... Um, False teachers um, flourish for a while. But in the end, the ones who will, who will win out are those who hold on to the law, those who hold on to the true teaching of, of the gospel. And he says uh, there in 24 and 25, so he says to the rest of you in Thyatira, those who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I like, um, I like that. That's often characteristic of false teaching, you know, deep secrets. That's how it, it works often. You know, someone says, oh, I've learnt something that no one else through the history of the church for 2,000 years has, has learnt. 
you know, I've learned something completely new here. And um, that, by and large, if someone comes up with something novel when it comes to, to the faith, I would say, <laughs> don't touch it with a barge pole. Um, I think it was it, um, it might have been Spurgeon or one of the great preachers who said, you know, Lord, may I never say anything innovative in a sense when it came to the gospel because actually we need the old, old story of the gospel. It doesn't change the gospel message. And he says to them, I'll not impose any other burden on you except hold on to what you have until I come. Hold on to what you have. And I think that's a good um, description of the Christian life, isn't it? Hold on to what you have. Hold on to what I've given you. Hold on to what you have. I think it was Eugene Peterson who um, once described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. I like that, a long obedience in the same direction. That that's, that's what the Christian life is about. It's about holding on to God, holding on to the Bible, and, uh, and we'll get there. It's not about you know, finding and innovating, but holding on to the Lord. And so in this final section, he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give authority, it's back to that authority again, uh, over the nations. Uh, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. And I, I think what, again, what, what Jesus is focusing on here is that authority, that if you look in, later on in Revelation, Psalm 2 is the description of Jesus. And this exact verse is quoted with respect to Jesus. And what Jesus is saying here is that those who belong to him, who persevere with him, will one day have authority, share in his authority over the nations. And that is what it says elsewhere in, uh, in the Bible. So, for example, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Um, or again, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says... Uh, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So that this is a, a thing in, in, in the Bible, it's about the Christian life, that looking forward to that reigning. Now, why did Jesus include that message to this church? And I think it comes back to this idea of them being the least important, you know, perhaps the least of the churches that were being written to. It's a message, isn't it, that at the end of the day, our importance is not based on where we live. I mean, you know, being here in, in, in Clacton, um, you know, this is not the most important town in the country, in a sense, is it? And yet, we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And whether we're important or not doesn't depend on where we are geographically, but it depends on who we serve and what he thinks of us. And one day we will reign with him. And that's a good message, whether you're from, you know, the most important city in the world or from the, the a little hamlet somewhere or from somewhere in between. You know, it's about whether we serve the Lord Jesus. So let's just draw a few things together as we, as we conclude. Love without orthodoxy 
is a bad thing. We have to hold on to both of those two things. Now we have to hold on to the message of the Bible. We have to hold on to the message of the gospel as we've received it. And we have to hold on to love as well. It's not enough to have one of those two things. And I think a lot of churches, the temptation is to be drawn to one or the other of those things. You know, we'll either be drawn to the, you know, the Bible, to the orthodoxy and wanting to be correct. And it's easy to get drawn down that road and neglecting the love. But it's also easy, as we've seen, to be drawn down the road of doing stuff, of love and wanting to serve, but not holding on too tightly to, to the, the doctrine, to what we must believe. And what, what we see from the letters of Revelation is we have to hold on to both of those two things, hard as it may be, that actually we have to hold on to both equally and that we must look to, to, to try and do that in our own lives and in our, our corporate life as a church. We must hold on to sound teaching. And the way not to be misled by sound teaching, as I said, you know, People who teach falsely usually come up with some innovation and they say, oh, you know, God has given me something which has never, has never happened before. But the way to, to, to combat false teaching apart from that is just really, I would say, just know this book really well. And that's the way that if at the end of the day, if anyone says anything in contradiction to this, then you'll know. And, and that's the, the message. It's that when we, when we contradict this, that we know something is up. And the final thing is that um, don't be afraid of being unimportant. Like I said, that our value doesn't come from whether we know influential people, doesn't come from you know, how much money we have or what job we do or what job we did or anything like that but it comes from Jesus now, Jesus values you and that makes you important that makes you important to him I'd just like to finish by quoting um, from um, a sermon by Francis Schaeffer which is called No Little People and um, he, it's, he starts out by reflecting he did um, a sort of a Bible study looking at Moses's rod, you know, Moses's staff, which he used. And this is what he's, uh, he's talking about. Consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood can be a banner cry for each of us. Though we are limited and weak in talent, physical energy and psychological strength, we are not less than a stick of wood. But as the rod of Moses had to become the rod of God, so that which is me must become the me of God, then I can become useful in God's hands. The scripture emphasises that much can come from little, if the little is truly consecrated to God. There are no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense, but only consecrated and unconsecrated people. The problem for each of us is applying this truth to ourselves. Is Francis Schaeffer the Francis Schaeffer of God? And I, I really like that, saying that there are no little people, there are only consecrated and unconsecrated people. Now, are we consecrated to the Lord? Because if we are, as 
in the case of Thyatira, then we are not little people, we are God's people. So let's pray and ask for, for God's strength as we come to a close. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray in our own lives and in our life as a church that you would uh, help us to hold on to, both on to, to love and to, to sound teaching, to sound doctrine. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to hold on to both of those things fully and um, to be able to, uh, to always believe the right things and uh, to live the right ways, to live the life of love that you would have us live. And we pray that you would help us as well to, to be consecrated to you. And we pray that you would uh, help us to um, not to worry about being important in the world's eyes, but to know that we are important in your eyes, that wherever we are, if we are consecrated to you. So we commit ourselves to you in this uh, coming days and pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.